the insecurity thing in Venezuela has been an ongoing thing for many, many years, but it has gotten worse with time to the point where, you know, I went to a public university and uh, we had these big classrooms with huge windows and it had to be closed all the time because people would get in and point at you with a gun and ask you for your phone and money. And wow. it, to us, that's daily a daily thing, but it's, it's of course, not normal. Welcome back to the Work From Home Forever podcast. I'm your host, Don, and on today's episode, we've got Danny. Danny is a creative copywriter and she joins us from Spain. So Danny, welcome to the show and please tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, hi, thanks for inviting me here. I am Danny, I'm 31 years old. I am a creative copywriter and social psychologist from Venezuela, currently living in Spain. Why did I make that change? Well, basically because I studied social psychology because I like doing research. And Venezuela is a complicated country to do that kind of work, mostly because of uh, the economics and the political situation. So I needed a change of environment and I was always really good at writing and uh, researching. So I started as a content writer for a marketing institute in Spain from Venezuela. And that was actually my first work from home experience and still loving it, actually. Very cool. So in the survey form, you highlighted the insecurity problems you touched on a little bit related to your home country, Venezuela, like getting robbed in the street. I was one that you, you put in the form. Can you talk a little bit more about what you've seen in your past that helped frame your desire to work from home? Yeah, well... The insecurity thing in Venezuela has been an ongoing thing for many, many years, but it has gotten worse with time to the point where, you know, I went to a public university and uh, we had these big classrooms with huge windows and it had to be closed all the time because people would get in and point at you with a gun and ask you for your phone and money. And to us, that's daily a daily thing but it's it's of course not normal and of course if you go out to work you have to experience the same thing only at the subway at the bus in the street in a restaurant even in in closed bars so it wasn't the kind of life that i wanted to have and when i found the this job offer to work from home it was it wasn't the best offer i had at the time i actually had another one same kind of job right content writer but I had to go to an agency, and even though they were offering more money, I didn't want to be exposed to those things regularly because I, I already went through that, and it wasn't comfortable. You know, it's it's awful getting out of your car, parking it in the street, and not knowing if you're going to find the car when you go back. So my mom at the beginning thought, well, you're just being kind of lazy, <laughs> But I was honestly just considering a lot of things and uh, working from home changed the game for me in many, many ways. There's a thing with uh, Venezuela and gas. <laughs> like We are uh, a country with many resources and we're not supposed to have gasoline shortcuts, but we do. So I had to save money on gas because there, was, there wasn't any at some point. So it wasn't the wrong choice. It was 
the smartest one, actually. No, good, good. I guess I go, going back to the violence that you talked about, and it sounds like it's become maybe the norm. People are get yeah. people are used to it. Do you find that others have similar perceptions or views about working from home or minimizing the amount of time they're out in public commuting because of the the situation that you described in in Venezuela? In Venezuela, absolutely. At that first job. My whole team was based in Venezuela, but uh, the CEO and uh, managers were in Spain. So whenever I talked to the team, <laughs> they felt really glad that they didn't have to take public transportation, for example, because I was lucky enough to have a car, but many of them didn't. So for them, it meant waking up at least two hours earlier to get a bus and, a, and the subway, not knowing if you're going to get robbed in between <laughs> places. Or when you go back from home and uh, if it's something that happens when you're just out having a coffee or a beer with your friends, it's something that actually happens a lot when you're out there working. And they really appreciated that modality, not just to be safer, but also because it saved resources and uh, money, which uh, was a big deal back then. So sure. I would say, yeah, absolutely. In Spain, it's different though, because insecurity is definitely not as high as the one we live in Venezuela. But in Barcelona, for example, we do have a lot of traffic jams, especially in the morning and after 6 p.m. So you have to be careful <laughs> and plan ahead your trip so you won't arrive late at work. But besides that, I think in Spain, remote work modality is still an advantage. Great. Now, when you talked about the, the first job, it was, I think it's 2016 to 2018, that was in Venezuela and that yeah. was also remote work. Yeah. You talked about moving in 2020 just to move to Spain for uh, advertising, work in an agency. I assume that the shift in 2020, was that tied to COVID or was that something where the oh, organization no. made the move? It was COVID. <laughs> okay. That agency was my first advertising agency here and uh, we weren't ready to work from home because in the creative advertise, advertising field, we have many, many meetings for brainstorming. And I'm talking about seven to 10 people in a room having a conversation, which at the time was complicated for us because we didn't know how to do that on Zoom. It was difficult for us to make the work as fast as, as we used to. And honestly speaking, our boss at the time didn't want us to work from home. I think the, perce the perception of the team was that he didn't trust us actually to work from home. Sure. But he had to do it and it was problematic at the beginning, but we made it work. It took us a longer time than we expected, but we still got the work done and uh, we tried not to work over hours. That was the first inconvenience because all these meetings delayed our processes very, very much. And at some point we started to work at 9 a.m. and we wouldn't finish until 8 or 9 p.m., which mm. is obviously not the goal. But we did this on our own. We didn't have guidance on the topic. And despite that uh, rough beginning, I think we, we did a good job. And then I think three to four months after we had to go back to the office, did we want to do that? No, but the confinement was already over and our boss still didn't trust us. So we were the first going back to the office 
at least the first agency to do that in, in town. And it was also problematic, of course, because we didn't know COVID as we know it now. So we had this issue about, okay, we can have meetings with more than three people in a room. You have to wear the mask. You can't use the microwave. It was complicated, but eventually it changed. I left that agency six months later, <laughs> but they, they are not working from home yet. They're not even considered, considering the hybrid modality either, but you know, to each his own and the boss decides in the end. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate that the leadership starts from the top. And if the, the company culture is one where there's not a lot of trust into the employees and it's unfortunate because I would say there's a lot of companies that were thrust into remote work and or hybrid work because of the pandemic. And I, th I would say a lot of those companies figured it out along the way. Yeah. But if the leadership is not trusting, if they think everyone's going to be goofing off and taking a nap midday and, and not doing work, uh, then it's a trust issue with that leader, you know, with that leader or leadership team. And, and it's, un it's unfortunate because especially during that time when we had no idea what was going on, you know, why, why would you knowingly put your team through that? Because there's a lot of other stresses beyond just the work, you know, exactly. there's the implications to the family. Anyway, so thanks for, for sharing that piece. One of the things I, I've, I've talked about, you, you actually brought this up in your survey, but uh, I've interviewed a handful of people for this podcast. And right now I would say it's about 70% introverts and 30% introverts. And, <laughs> yeah. and you're, you're one of those that fallen, identified yourself as an introvert. So thinking back to when you worked in an office, what were the types of engagements that drained your social battery? Forced team building activities. <laughs> because I, I mean, I understand the importance of having these kind of activities. But the truth is most of the time, what we want to do is just have a beer or a coffee with our coworkers and go back home or go with our partners or friends. So making it mandatory was slightly inconvenient, especially if you schedule it on a weekend or right after I'm done working, because that's extra time that's supposed to be for me, but I am forced to spend it with you. My answer would be, being forced to do that kind of activities. But uh, we did have some interesting activities during the working hours and it felt less exhausting because it's not like I am, well, the, the, the expression is not exactly wasting my time, but I am using work time to do work-related extracurricular activities uh, like uh, movies or talks with uh, important people in the industry. But as long as it's within the working hours, it feels even refreshing because it's not a regular Monday morning, for example. It, w it wasn't that awful for me because I, I understand that, you know, if I work with people in a, in a physical office, I have to mingle. So I, I really did make an effort, but I understand that for introverts <laughs> being in groups, it's draining, like physically and emotionally draining. But I think I'm over that part, at least for the work environment. Sure. I, I do have, I, I have a vivid recollection of those forced team building. And it was I don't know, probably 10 years ago, I was at a sales meeting, we were in Las Vegas, and the leadership team was all pumped up, we had a good year. And they're like, everyone's going to go out to this fancy club, right? Whatever, whatever fancy club in, in Vegas, it was. And they were like, everyone's going out, they're like pointing out to the room. And I just remembered in and the leader pointed out this 
guy who's probably two years from retirement at that point. He was like a grandfatherly figure. And he's like, even you, you had a great year. You're going to go out tonight too. And I just remember thinking, this guy just wants to go back to his room, (laughs) probably have a drink and hang out and, and call it a night. You know, he does not, he's like in his sixties. He doesn't like, again, I'm not speaking for him, but he did, he, his body language showed, I don't want to go out to a club in Las Vegas because this is not my thing. And, you know, sure it's, enough, it's, it's complicated, right? Because if yeah. maybe you don't say it with your words, but your body and your facial expression says you don't want to be there. But how do you say that to a manager or to your boss? It's it's a complicated right. situation because you know it's going to come back in your yeah. mid year review or your annual review Absolutely. that hey, we, we need we need team players, we need people who want to be here, and yeah, I want to be here. I want to put out good work, and I believe in what we do. I don't want to have to go to a club when i'm 60 something years old you know so in that guy's case so no it's good good feedback you talk about some of the challenges with your routines and your survey we we were asking we asked you a question about how do you manage work-life balance and you talk about the challenges with routines so can you tell us a bit more about those challenges and what works for you okay my routines i i said it in our previous interview that i am not a routine person don't ask me why, but it's really complicated for me to say, okay, I, I will wake up at 7 a.m. and then I'm going to do an hour of yoga and then I'm going to have a great breakfast and start working. And, you know, that kind of squared routine has never worked for me until I started to practice mindfulness. And then I understood that these routines are just for me. So maybe other people enjoy having a very specific routine and for me it's actually more about knowing what I want to do during the day and finding the appropriate schedule according to my mood and not according to what I think this routine has to look like and remote work is has been very very important for me to to feel better with my routines because I don't have to waste time on commute. I don't have to do a lot of activities outside my house. Like this is my time and I understand how my work functions, what I have to do during the day. So I get to choose when and how I do things as long as I complete them. And since I changed my mindset regarding my routines, I think my life improved significantly especially in a remote work environment, because I I understand that a lot of people feel somehow trapped in their houses. It's fortunately not my experience because I have learned how to manage this. For example, a break from work for some people means doing nothing or sleeping or cooking. For me, it could be anything I want to do in the moment. As long as I am aware of what my time is and how I'm feeling, everything else is should not be a challenge for me during the day. Good. And this is a, a pretty common theme in a lot of these conversations is the workplace flexibility where if you're feeling that creative drive at uh, a certain time, day, or or you've got something that you is on your mind, you can get it done. If I've turned the tables though, so that's, you know, from an employee standpoint, I understand the, the benefit of the flexibility. From a organization standpoint, have you experienced any conflicts with past leaders that say this flexibility is great for you but we need to get xyz projects done 
ASAP. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Not exactly in remote work environments. When I did have to go to the office, for example, my, my first job in Barcelona, I needed to speak Catalan and write in Catalan. But despite being an, a native Spanish speaker and having a little knowledge uh, about the French language, when you mix them, you get a little bit of understanding of how Catalan works, but it's, it's not really studying it. And I'm a writer, so I need to understand how to think and write in Catalan. So I needed to get classes. And my boss at the time uh, really didn't care about it because I asked him for one hour, two days of the week to go to class. And uh, of course, with the commitment of paying back those hours, either I start earlier or I get out of work later the next day. But he just chose not to. And it's, it's actually really disappointing because this is not something I'm doing for my entertainment. This is something I need to do for my job. But, well, it was uh, an awkward experience. And then when I started again to work from home, I don't really recall a moment where I needed these kind of exceptions, but I have worked for places that are way too strict with the time. For example, as a writer, sometimes they ask you to use these softwares that uh, control the time you're supposed to be writing or take random screenshots when you're writing. And if you don't touch your laptop in five minutes, the counter stops. And by 6 p.m., you notice you owe the company a bunch of time that you don't really owe them those times. Those few minutes that I'm missing, it's because as a writer, I need to stop or I need to take a break, or I need to, you know, walk my dog and try to de-stress my mind a little bit. Because in the creative field, and as an introvert as well, you get mentally very, very tired. And uh, they didn't like that, <laughs> but I fought my way out of it. Uh, I tried to make them understand, look, this kind of software, software doesn't work for this kind of industry particularly. Maybe you can measure the time somebody's working, as a designer, maybe you can do that with a programmer, but when you're writing or when you're super into creative things, it's way more complicated. Did they hmm. get it? Not really, but I made my point and uh, eventually I found a better place to work that, where they do understand what I'm talking about and respect it sure. very much. Yeah, definitely. A, it goes back to the, the trust issues, right? I assume that's the, the previous employer yeah. that you talked about that really was against work from home or hybrid even when the pandemic hit. So glad to hear you're not in that situation anymore. It sounds like you're in a, a more encouraging environment. Yeah, super grateful for that. Yeah. So you talk a little bit about knowing your boundaries, specifically when you live with other people. So what does good boundary setting mean to you? Uh, okay, when, when you asked me that, I the first story that came to my mind was when I had this first job as a content writer, because I was still living with my parents. And one day I had a meeting with one of the managers that needed to teach me how to do something with a specific software. And this person had a very limited time schedule. So I was focused on paying attention and getting the most out of his teachings. And suddenly somebody started ringing the door and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to ignore it. You just have to go. 
they didn't ignore it because it was a friend of my mom that had come to our house because she had an envelope with money to pay for some repairs he did at the house. I didn't know that. She didn't tell me that I had to open the door for him. And uh, I think I wasted like 15 minutes of this person's time because I had to open the door for uh, her friend and I had to search the house for the money because I didn't know where it was. And those kind of things, usually when you live with other people, you need to make them clear because otherwise they don't really understand that you are home but working that you're not just watching tv or you know resting your time and attention belongs to a specific task during specific time so when i talk about boundaries is letting people know that hey i'm here if you need me to do something specific please tell me with time so i can organize myself or please try to interrupt the least possible something that also happens is the the silence you need to work and when you live with uh, i don't know three to four people or if you have children for example uh, it gets complicated and i think it also messes with your mental health because you have to stop working every 20 30 minutes and you feel exhausted because you're doing three four things at a time and you are not quiet enough and people are knocking on your door sometimes not with uh, with the intention of bothering, you know, it's just, you're there. Hey, can we talk? Do you want to have lunch with me? And it's like, I would really like to, (laughs) but I am not a hundred percent available because I am working. So I suppose that if you work from home, you have to establish clear boundaries with the people you live with for the sake of your job, yourself and others. Very important. Yep. I've I've experienced that myself when I'm working from home and my family thinks it's it's just me playing on the computer, you know, when I'm, I have a, I have a job to do. So yeah. I understand that. What are your three must haves? One of the things that you mentioned was one of your must haves was uh, having plants in your home. So what plants are in your home office space? This is called a Sanseviera, I think. I don't choose plants by the type of plants, just by how easy I can take care of them because okay, it, it can get complicated because seasonal changes in Spain are complicated. So sometimes you get a plant that is not supposed to be in humid places. And Barcelona during the summer can be super humid or sometimes they won't survive winter. But what I try to do is just pick a plant that makes me happy and that I know that I can take care of. Great. Well, Danny, this has been a great conversation. I, I really appreciate the time that you've spent with us here on the show. Before we go, do you have a couple minutes for any rapid fire questions? Yeah, go ahead. Awesome. So how do you feel about friending coworkers or bosses on social media? It depends on the relationship you have with them. Right now, for example, I work for Meditopia and everybody is amazing. From my coworkers to my managers and even the founders, they are very open and they have open communicational channels. So you don't feel like they're giving you orders. You feel like they are making requests. And if you have something you need to talk about it, you can do it. And it's always welcome. If you don't have that, it's highly uncomfortable. I have befriended ex-managers and bosses on LinkedIn because what they write about their companies is, I know it's not right. And uh, 
I don't know, I'm not just not into that vibe. So it depends on how they act with you. Otherwise, it, to me, it's uncomfortable. Yep. Agreed. Okay. Another question is, how much money would you need to be offered to go back to a traditional five-day, 40-plus hour in-office job? Have you no. thought about that? <laughs> I have thought no? about it. It's not about money. Okay. I mean, it's about my mental health and peace. And if I have to go back to work in an office, it's because I have to, not because I want to. And I don't think right now there's no amount of money that could make me choose that because the benefits that I have right now are you cannot buy time with your dog, for example. You cannot buy time to make proper lunch instead of putting it in a box and microwaving it at the office. So to me, it's not about money. It's, it's about peace. Oh, great answer. So as a professional in the creative field, how do you feel about chat GPT and other advances in AI? I'm loving it. <laughs> I do not like uh, how extended the discussion is going because every day I go on LinkedIn and there's people talking about chat GPT and artificial intelligence and it, it feels repetitive, but I have used it and my perception of it is that it's a tool. It's a valuable tool, especially for us in the marketing field. I don't believe this kind of technology is going to take over our jobs, at least not yet. I don't really believe it's something possible in the uh, long, in a long future either, but I'm not scared of it as some headlines try to make you feel. It actually is a time-saving tool and creatively speaking, it also helps because, for example, I could log into ChatGPT and ask it, hey, could you please give me five headlines about this topic for this specific audience? And the options it gives me, they're fine, but to me, they lack a little bit of spark. I don't really know if that's the human spark, but they don't shine as bright as something written by a human. But it does clarify me some content structures that I could follow. So to me, it's a tool. I welcome it. I really like it. Oh, that's good. I, I like the way you framed that. Uh, it's missing the human spark. So I, I really like the way you framed that. The last question here. So the topic of pension reform and France possibly in increasing the retirement age has resulted in violent protests. So how would you react if the government extended the retirement age similarly? Well, it's going to take me about 30 years to actually get retired. So uh, when seeing what's happening in France, right now I have a passive attitude because it, it feels like foreign year. Like it's not really my problem now, but I don't have to wait to be 60 to know that it's going to be a problem, especially because you have been working your ass off. I'm sorry for the language, but for 60 years and suddenly when you're about to grab it, they're going to take it from you. And I am sure that there are economic logics behind it, but there's also a heavy human factor. There are people out there that do not comfortably work from home, as I do. There are people who have to face a lot of really tough work conditions, and for them, it's important. So if I don't support them, eventually it's going to hit me. So it, it's a matter of empathy. I can't support it right now. I haven't read much about how this is going to go. I think the last thing I read is that it, it's, it's a lot that's going to happen no matter what the people say. Then again, 
governments are for the people. So if we can't reach an agreement, then we either find another way or you listen to us. But it's going to be an interesting discussion in the following months because that's transcendental. And whatever happens in France, it's definitely going to affect the rest of the European politics. No, great, great insights. I, I really like the way uh, you, you talked about the, your thoughts on that. So really appreciate it. So thank you. So Danny, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate the time you spent with us and sharing your work from home forever story. And how can our listeners get a hold of you if they want to reach out and connect with you? Well, you can reach out through LinkedIn. My name is uh, Daniela Di Franco. Or you can try my LinkedIn, even though my Instagram, sorry, I even though I don't use it that much, it's my LinkedIn is Danny is writing. And uh, well, if you need to know more about how a remote work environment should be, you can check uh, Meditopia's LinkedIn as well, because we do share a lot of insights regarding how to make work from home better. Perfect. So Danny, we will definitely put your LinkedIn profile. We'll link to that in the show notes, also to the Instagram. So um, very appreciative of your time. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for having a space like this. It's it's refreshing to know that uh, <laughs> there are a lot of introverts out there enjoying this. And uh, I don't know, maybe this could help leaders and managers to adopt remote work or at least hybrid for some of their sure. teams. I hope so too. I think it's uh, it's it's good to be part of the discussion, and and as long as people keep telling people keep telling their stories, um, exactly. I think it'll resonate more with uh, with the public there. So thank you again. Thank you. I really enjoyed that conversation with Danny. Everyone's work from home forever story is unique, and the insecurity she lived firsthand growing up in Venezuela really shaped her views and her desire to have a fulfilling career as a remote worker. Here are my key takeaways from our interview with Danny. My first takeaway is a two-parter, and it's tied to organizational alignment from the leadership on down. Danny talked about how the pandemic forced her organization at the time to go from five-day, 100% in-office to fully remote. The leadership reluctantly adopted that method, mostly because they were forced to, and everyone rallied to make it work, despite the lack of direction from the leadership team. My first takeaway is for critics who say that remote employees are less engaged and need to be in the office in order to be productive. Danny and her team figured out productivity tools like Zoom, Slack, etc. on the fly in order to keep their brainstorming sessions, meet with colleagues, and publish and review content in a remote environment. So if you hire professionals, professionals who believe in the organization and care about doing the job well, then in office versus at home, it should not make a difference. The second part is about the level of trust or control that leaders have in their employees. Micromanagers need to have a hand in everything, and it is perceived as a lack of trust or confidence in their team. Danny talked about the software that a previous organization implemented to track her active writing time or taking random screenshots to check on worker productivity. I have worked in manufacturing environments most of my career, so I understand that measuring efficiency and productivity in that setting translates into real cost savings for the business. However, in Danny's field where her output is based on creativity 
and writing for specific audiences, using a word count as a metric instead of the quality of the work is not the same. Yes, Danny and her team need to publish so many pieces of content in a week, but so long as her leaders set those expectations, she can complete those targets at what works for her. Finally, I love how Danny talked about houseplants. I went from having no houseplants to having houseplants after working from home during the shutdown. Like Danny, I want easy to care for plants. I personally have a Sampaguita, which is the national flower of the Philippines and has really sweet smelling flowers. I also grew some purple shamrock flowers from roots as well, so they add color and it's part of my routine to check in, water them, and make sure they're getting enough sun. The other bonus is they don't drone on and eat into my focus time when I'm trying to make progress on projects. So I hope you enjoy this episode of Danny. We will have Danny's LinkedIn, Instagram, and a link to her company Metatopia if you want some work for home best practices and tips on mindfulness and meditation. If you want to be on the show to tell your work from home forever story, we want to have you on the show. Please go to wfhforever.com slash tell your story. Fill out the brief Survey Monkey survey and we will be in touch with you. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. Like and subscribe to our show and we love reading your reviews. Thanks again for listening to the Work From Home Forever podcast. I am your host, Don, and please join us for our next episode.